Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Welcome to episode 100 of 20 Minute Leaders. I can't believe we made it this far, but here we are, and we have Laura Lauder from the Lauder Family Venture Philanthropy Fund. Laura is a social entrepreneur and venture philanthropist in Silicon Valley, focusing on signature initiatives that she has designed and launched with experts and other philanthropists. Her initiatives include the Center for Media and Democracy in Israel, a pro-publica model in Israel, Delet, a Jewish Teach for America, and a Jewish teen philanthropy program worldwide. She served on 11 nonprofit and foundation boards, is an avid cyclist, and in 2009, won a bronze medal in the Maccabi Games in Israel. Laura Lauder, thank you so much for being on my show. How are you? Um, thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. I am incredibly excited for this because I've heard so much about you. I've worked with you through J Ventures. I've seen you, you know, being the chair of J Ventures and, and reading about all the different incredible things that you've done. It's inspiring. And the impact that you're having hands-on is just, is just remarkable. And I would love to spend these 20 minutes to talk about your journey. I want to talk about philanthropy. I want to talk about philanthropic venture capital. I want to talk about, you know, your work with J Ventures and the different, you know, Jewish uh, organizations here and what that means to you. But first of all, Laura, right before we started this, you mentioned sports, that sports got you into this competitive nature, which is very, uh, which is very evident also in the space that you're in today. So talk to me a little bit about this passion for sports and how you get started. Great. Okay, Michael. Well, thanks so much for doing these. I, I think these podcasts are just so relevant. It, it gives uh, folks a, an insight into how people got to the place that they are. I mean, I'm pushing 60 here. And even though you can't tell by my hair color, I love the <laughs> fact that... <laughs> I love the fact that that uh, I, I used to be a young person and, and always looked up to folks who have, who've done much more. And so it's, it's wonderful that you're, you're you're doing this. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So so in terms of, of, of how I grew up, uh, the reality is that I grew up in a small town in Ohio, Midwest. My father was involved in uh, in international business. And so he was gone a lot of the time. But he used to bring me back wonderful toys and wonderful uh, uh, cultural um, uh, gifts from from his travels. And one of the things that he was also very passionate about was tennis. And so as a a child growing up, I was always very, very enthusiastic about beating dad in order to uh, uh, show him that he had a great kid to, to come home to whenever he came back from these travels. And as a result, I became a competitive tennis player. I'll never forget when I was 16 oh. years old, I actually, uh, I, I actually challenged my dad to, uh, to a big match. He had been playing all his life, and I was very, very passionate about tennis. And I challenged him to the big match. And what was going to be the reward? A new used car for me so I could drive myself to tennis tournaments. And that imbued a whole passion for, for being competitive. And then once I won that car from him, because, uh, because I definitely beat him, you could probably have guessed that. I ended up playing college tennis and college tennis was a very different experience because I was so much focused on individual competitions, but now playing as a team, that collaborative spirit, and yet we were as a team competitive against other schools, that made me a much better, let's just say partner and teammate 
in, 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 in the greater world. So sports has always provided a way for me, not only to stay healthy and fed and hopefully not look too much like I'm pushing 60, but, but definitely a way of life and, and a way to collaborate with others in this competitive world. I love it. So what, what was it? What is it about this competitive nature and this collaborative world? Because, you know, I, I took part in, in first robotics, uh, robotics competition back in Israel, but also in the U.S. And one of the wonderful things that, that Dean came in, the, the founder of it, says is cooperation, cooperation and competition, which resonates a lot to what you're saying here about, you know, your experience with tennis and now into this other world. What is it about this cooperation that, that you find useful in your journey today? So, Michael, one of the things that that I found is that as a philanthropist, when I married Gary Lauder and I realized I was moving into a new world of philanthropy, I'd always been passionate about philanthropy, but I was I had a career in tech and 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 I was a salesperson for an IBM mainframe software company, 370 architecture. Wow. <laughs> Cobol code generators and that whole world in the 80s. Once I moved out of that and married Gary when I was 30, I realized that I had to step up my my game in the philanthropy world, because that was going to be my, my new future. Um, you know, uh, Gary and I like to, like to joke that he now as a venture capitalist likes to make money and I try to give it away and I'm faster. So, <laughs> so what I try to Love do is, is, is try to use our philanthropy to, fo- to fill gaps where, there, where there's no one else perhaps focused in this area and our added value is going to really make the difference. It's going to bridge where people are today to what a future could look like. Now, in order to do that, that's a highly competitive space because you have to collaborate with the people on one hand and then hand off to the other hand. So for example, um, here's a, a, an example. Our children were going to a Jewish day school and at that Jewish day school, they had the most wonderful teachers, the Gideon Hausner Jewish Day School in Palo Alto, California. But what I realized is that these kinds of teachers weren't, weren't de rigueur. They, you didn't see fantastic teachers like these in all schools. So I said, we've got to find a way to, to build a pipeline of Jewish teachers who are passionate about teaching and passionate about tikkun olam and passionate about integrating Jewish values into the curriculum. So there was this big gap of a pipeline of Jewish day school teachers. So I created this program called Delet, which, as you know, is Hebrew for door. It was opening the door to a a career in teaching. And we have now trained hundreds and hundreds of Jewish day school teachers, sort of like a Jewish Teach for America. And and that never existed before. But we had to collaborate with all of the schools because they had to tell us what the criteria were for the best teachers. We had to collaborate with the universities that were training teachers. We had to collaborate with any number of different organizations that were feeders into our program. But we had to make ourselves the best in terms of excellence and standards so that we could scale this. Because the the two most important words in philanthropy are leverage and scale. If you can lever other organizations to feed your pipeline and you can scale it so that it has impact, then you've really done something well. That is exactly what I'm curious about because, you know, before when you're saying that, you know, spending money, that's, that doesn't do justice to what you're doing. You're, you're using resources to make a lasting impact on people. And I'm really curious about this, this latter part, this lasting impact. And how do you actually use resources to go and transform institutions, you know, different industries and different people's lives so that they can pay it forward and then 
transform others people other people's lives so how do you, how do you do that at scale because sometimes it seems that a lot of the endeavors that people do in philanthropy they're short-lived or they, or they are very specific to one segment how do you go about strategically thinking how do I take something like delet and make it at scale so that every one of those teachers can influence another teacher and and dozens of students who will then grow up to be educators themselves and mentors themselves and Exactly. Well, you've said it about Delet. So I'll give you another example. Yes. So, uh, so our, our kids both thought we're thinking about doing a gap year, both before college or after college. And when we really thought about what are the impacts that young people can make, a lot of folks say, you know, somebody 18 years old, what really, what benefit can they provide to the world in terms of really doing something impactful? Well, when you talk about scale, then you can think about what, what Israel does, which is fantastic in terms of enabling young people to do a gap year before they join the army. And it's right. a service year. And I did that, that as well, yeah. And Not a service year, but I did a different gap year. Right. So in the United States, we have something called AmeriCorps. Only 80,000 young people are eligible to do AmeriCorps in terms of the funding by the federal government at $25,000 per, per kid. There are 600,000 applicants. So what we, what a group of us at the Aspen Institute worked with four-star general Stanley McChrystal, who wow. desperately wanted to create a national program with huge scale so that there are now a million young people serving in the, in the, in the military in the United States. He wanted to see a million young people serving their country doing national service. And right now we're at 80,000. But the demand is there. So how can we scale that up? So a group of us started a, a wonderful new program called the Service Year Alliance. And we collaborated with all kinds of nonprofits across the country, and we're working to try to enable every young person who wants to do a service year to be able to do that at, at age 18 to 26. And just this week, we have introduced legislation into the United States Senate, co-sponsored by eight Democrats and eight Republicans called the CORE Act, C-O-R-P-S. And that piece of legislation we're hoping to include into the, the, the Republicans' version of the COVID Relief Act. And that would enable 250,000 young people to do a year of national service. So scale is absolutely critical. And at the end of the day, public-private partnerships are the best way to do that. And what it sounds to me from that story, it's not just about the resources, it's about the relationships, and it's about the strategic entrepreneurial mindset of how do we get from 80,000 to 250,000 with the collaboration from different organizations around the U.S., showing that there's a product market fit, right? You have 600,000 applicants who want to do this. This is not just a dream that you're selling somebody on. This is a reality that is just there's a bottleneck that you have to turn the switch and right. make that happen. And there's a matching component. So it is very, very much a, a tech platform. So if you go on to the Service Year Alliance website, serviceyear.org, you'll see that you could put in criteria – I want to teach fifth grade in New Orleans starting in September of 2021. And a list of opportunities will come up and you can apply to them directly through the website. Wow. Making it super easy for young people to apply to these service positions is really the key to making it successful. Wonderful. Laura, talk to me a little bit about your Jewish identity and why are you so excited and passionate about this? Both your Jewish identity, but also looking at it, at it a bit broader putting together the Israeli identity and the Jewish identity and the different groups and what's happening here in the U.S. and the Bay Area. Obviously, you know, we're seeing the rise of anti-Semitism around the world, which is horrifying. And I believe just last week we had swastikas in Stanford campus. So, so it's all around us always. 
and and you're very very involved with with your Jewish identity in the Jewish community. So I, I'd love to get a little bit a little bit of inspiration into that. Also, you know, myself as an Israeli and a Jewish citizen here in the Bay Area with all my family back in Israel. Great question, Michael. Um, you know, in the United States, you have to choose to be Jewish today. People can assimilate and not be involved. When you live in Israel and grow up in Israel, it's just part of life. And, and it's part of your identity that in, in, in ways that sometimes is negative because there are so many ultra-Orthodox, the Haredim destroy a lot of the culture of, 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 of what, is, what is really authentically Jewish, I think. Right. So, so my sense of, of, of Judaism is this positive, joyful, values-based identity that I hope I got from my parents and I hope to be teaching now to my children. And what I would say to you is that raising kids is a very difficult thing to do. And when you have a framework of values that enable you to, to teach them, not only by the texts that are ancient, but also by the deeds, the mitzvot that you do every day so that kids learn by example, that to me is the framework of what Judaism provides that is so valuable to me. It's the history, the tradition, the values, the culture, the land, the language. It's all of these things together. And, and so as a result of that, I have gotten very involved in Jewish life ever since I was very young. So I mentioned that I was a tennis player. My very first experience in Israel was teaching at the Israel Tennis Center in Ramat HaSharon. Yeah, I, I trained there. No kidding. Yeah, I'm a tennis player myself. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Yofi, Yofi. Well, we, we loved playing tennis at the Israel Tennis Center. And then by the time my kids were old enough, our son was a big tennis player. Our daughter played some too. That was one of the places that we took them on, uh, on our son's bar mitzvah trip so that they could play tennis with Israeli teens and, 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 and folks who weren't just Jewish. I mean, there, as you know, there are Arab Israelis who also play in the 13 or 14 different Israel tennis centers around the country. And the values associated with teaching kids to play tennis, learning the values of hard work and discipline and and practice, and then also the tutoring piece, which, as you know, also happens at the Israel tennis center. And then countries around the world came to Israel to say, how did you create this wonderful tennis program that enables kids to learn from each other? and also integrates the the communities together. Who cares if you're from an Arab community or a Jewish community or a a, a Bedouin community? Tennis is tennis. And on the court, everybody has to be a team player and has to be a good competitor. So I I just love the values that Judaism has created and it puts it to play and, and into work in Israel. I love it. I love it. Laura, how do you, how do you manage your time? You're doing so many different things, you know, just reading, just, you know, preparing for this and reading on all the different sources. It's overwhelming the number of things that you've done, you know, very involved also with, with NPR on their board. How do you manage your time at the end? Because you have so much to give, right? You have so many different passions and ideas, and we were, we're transitioning from, from sports to, uh, to AmeriCorps to, to Judaism. How do you, balance your time so that you can both provide impact to these organizations who need your time because at the end the people are looking at you as a leader at the same time allowing yourself to branch out and take risks on other endeavors and continue to evolve and scale well first and foremost i have to give a lot of credit to my sweet husband gary who just supports me in every way possible so um and and then secondarily to our two kids josh and eliana who 
went to the Gideon Hausner Jewish Day School, have great values and are, are, uh, are living really positive impact lives right now. And, and as a result of the fact that I have really a for, very, very fortunate to have a healthy family, both physically as well as emotionally, yeah. they are, are a great support system. We are a great support system for each other. So that is the core and, and family values of, of our core family is really critical. The second thing I would say to you is um, living a healthy lifestyle. Like I am now an, a, a crazy maniac biker. Um, I, I love biking with a lot of Israelis because they're very uh, competitive. And so I, I bike a lot with Zach Renat. I don't know if you know Zach, yes. but, uh, but Zach and I just actually biked for a week here in Aspen, Colorado last week. And uh, he put me to shame. So I'm <laughs> trying, trying to keep up with Zach and Orly. But I would also say to you that managing your time in terms of making sure that you're, you're focusing on your priorities, that is the critical element. I don't, frankly, I hate to say it, I, don't, I have not seen a television show in I don't know how long. Wow. We have dinners with friends outside during this coronavirus pandemic almost every, every single night. So we're, we're, we're connecting with people, we're hearing their ideas, we're keeping this balance of life with, with exercise, with friends, with family, and, and of course with our passions. So I'm on 11 boards. <laughs> And these boards are, are very time consuming. My most recent board is the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia, which, which educates the world about the, con- the American Constitution. What a, a critical civics education today. It's, it's so important. But I can't especially get involved. Especially today. Especially today. But I can't get involved in any of these things unless I really have balance in my life. There's, there's one other really wonderful initiative that I've just taken on. And, um, and it's an initiative that, I, that, that uh, Oded and I have created. It's called Shomrim, and which means the guardians. Yes. And this is a pro-publica for Israel. Yes. So this is an opportunity for us to provide philanthropic journalism at its best, investigative journalism, providing the best of news stories to the existing media on social issues. Not about politics, not about the military, not about the conflict. It's about the social issues that are at play today in Israel. And I love Israel so much that I want to make sure that Israel is the best it can possibly be. And I think investigative journalism helps a country become right. the best it can be. So among all of those things, I can't pick one favorite. It's this, it's all my baby. It's uh, the, the, the passion exudes from the screen. And lastly, you know, we have to talk about J Ventures uh, that I've gotten involved with as well. And, and I've, and, and, you know, I've, I've been so inspired by, by Oded and the team there and really the community that is being built. So I've, you know, I've, I've gotten to know, especially through this show, a lot of different VCs and I can very, you know, honestly and genuinely say I've never seen a community as strong and as genuine as J Ventures, especially going into due diligences with, you know, 10 LPs who are each incredibly busy uh, and working together because we enjoy working together, checking the ego at the door as Shmuel Shatan said, uh, said on the show, he's also an LP there. And you're the chair of, chair of J Ventures. And one of the missions is to connect the, the Jewish and Israeli community together and to create some and create magic there. Now we're both working on the next generation project for, for young Israelis and Jewish. So, so talk to me a little bit about your involvement with the J Ventures and why, why that fund and, and what are we trying to do there? Sure. So, so let me just correct you one thing, Michael. I'm not Please. the chair of J Ventures. That's what Dead and Jim Koshlin. What I'm the chair of is this community outreach element. So the philanthropic yeah. piece of it. So 
So as we begin to have um, exits and we have some uh, some philanthropic capital then to to uh, to to put into play, we now want to encourage the next generation of J Ventures to participate in everything that we're doing. So that's the objective there. Right. But the reason why I was involved with Odette at the very beginning to help help him create J Ventures was really to 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 bring our passions together in, into one community, to integrate folks, to give them opportunities to meet others. Can you imagine there are many American Jews who don't know Israelis in, 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 in an intimate way to know right. how, what are the issues that they have faced as, uh, as, as young people growing up in Israel or young people growing up here with an Israeli identity. So we share this, this Zionism passion, but we also share this, 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 this legacy of Judaism and of those values that I, I dare say some Israelis don't value as much as American Jews do. And so seeing the passion for tikkun olam of American Jews and the passion for, for, for creating right. community based on Judaism, that's kind of a, a rare thing for some Israelis. And so yes. to bring these two communities together, to share their common purpose and passions, I think is a really worthwhile endeavor. I love it. Laura, for myself and for uh, other young entrepreneurs and engineers going through their journey, you know, what, what should we keep in mind as we go along for the next, for, for our, you know, our, our futures, what, whether it would be in tech or education or whatever it may be, what are some core values that, that you now looking back see are a foundation for who you are that we should take with us as well? I think one of the, one of the most important elements for all of us is balance. It's this question that we talked about a few minutes ago, Michael, where we have to have a a life that is not so stressful that we are constantly battling our inner demons about what is the right thing to do, what's the best thing for us to do. There's no one right answer. And so to have, whether it's mindfulness and meditation or or hardcore exercise out on a bike for a, a couple of hours or or a way for you to just make sure that you stay in touch with who you are and what's important to you. That to me is a key element of any successful person. And I have to say that, that is that, you know, as a young entrepreneur, uh, you know, going through, and especially here in the Bay Area, it, it, the lines get blurred and, and it's very easy to all of a sudden find yourself working, you know, 17, 18 hour days on various projects and without even having the time before going to bed to sit down, reflect on what's important and what are the priorities. And, and that's definitely something that I'm taking to heart as well. So, so thank you for the inspiration. Laura, before we go, uh, I want to thank you for your generosity and for everything that you're doing, but also for your generosity with your time here for, for this show. I really appreciate it. And, and I would like to ask for three words that you would use to describe yourself or that Gary would use to describe you or anybody else that's worked with you? Okay, so uh, I, I, think, I think I will say... And I did not prepare you for this, so I'm not holding you those three words. I didn't give enough time ahead. I, I, I guess, you know, I care a lot, so I'm caring. I'm highly energetic. <laughs> yeah. And I'm passionate, as you can tell. Of course, I love it. Laura, thank you very much. I look forward to continue watching the the amazing things that you're doing and, and thank you for all the inspiration.